The sacred writings of the Baha'i Faith teach that music is a ladder for the soul. My name is Jack Gordon, and I'm host of Interfaith-ish. On this ongoing series of conversations that I'm calling Soul Ladder Music, I invite you to climb with me as we hear songs and stories from a diverse array of musicians who connect sound and spirit. Matali Banda is a musician who channels his wide-ranging life experiences through jazz, soul, and R&B arrangements, primarily playing the saxophone. As a songwriter who's also working towards a PhD in African-American studies, Matali's music is part travelogue, part memoir, and throughout a tribute to his family, which spans from the U.S. to Malawi. I caught up with Matali on a rainy day this past summer as he was preparing to travel to Atlanta to share some of his most recent project at a conference put on by the North American Baha'i community. It seemed to be the perfect time to catch the young artist in a place of reflection and introspection as we discuss the themes of family, trauma, perseverance, and the music that inspires him. Enjoy my conversation with Matali Banda. Tell me a little bit about the environment that you grew up in and, you know, the influences on, on your point of view. Yeah, so my, my dad's Malawian. My mom's black American. Um, and I was born in Massachusetts, but moved to Madison, Wisconsin when I was seven. And mm. Madison, Atlanta, Atlanta, Boston. Um, but each move was a drastic move in sort of dissecting yeah. my family um each <laughs> we left some players behind each way right okay um, okay you know uh you know we leave massachusetts my grandparents stay behind uh we me and my mom leave madison and my sisters one sister stays behind one goes to college my dad stays behind me and my mom and then it just becomes me and my mom we move up to Bo- uh, boston after that so that's sort of um what a makeup is and and a part of that is also each place was different and as a black man navigating that, some of it was suburban, some of it was college town, some of it was just hood. Yeah, right? you know, Atlanta, you got to see a lot of America yeah. as 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 uh, throughout your young life already. I did. It 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 was beautiful, and I, I'm so appreciative of it. 
Um, and it exposed me to some real things, some mm-hmm. real, real things to the point where because my sister's age gap and where I lived from an earlier age compared to where they live, okay. the, the starkness of hood politics is real with mm. us. You know, they didn't grow up in hoods the way I did. Like, they didn't have to navigate that and navigate that in a way of black manhood and all those different ways, right? Mm. Um, and so, uh, it, and, and in some ways it's interesting because I'm the only person in my family who grew up in the hood, actually. You know, so it actually had, it made for some cataclysms, you know, in high school. It made for some, when I was coming into my black manhood, and, you know, I'm living in Brockton, South Boston, Atlanta. You know, there's a way we move, right? Hip-hop culture is real. And mm. uh, my grandparents didn't understand that because they didn't necessarily grow up around black people the way I did. My mom didn't understand that fully. Uh, even my, my middle sister sort of did, my older sister not so much. Um, yeah, so it's always interesting. Yeah. I've, 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 been, I've been thinking about that a lot, like, lately. Um, yeah, you think a as a... Yeah. As a teenager, so often we think, "Man, nobody understands me." My parents don't understand. Well, it sounds like your your family really didn't understand you. Like I was like, "Y'all ain't never been to a hood ass school like this." What y'all know about like I'm trying to survive? Like I don't think y'all understand. Like like you know what I mean? They go clown me with those work boots on, right? You know what I mean? Like this is like, come on, like do me a solid, like help me out here just a little bit. That was you a know? very um, very specific example drawn from life experience, I would guess. I know, right? I know. Right? <laughs> so on on the music side of things, were you growing up listening? to jazz throughout all these different changes and things was was uh music a common factor through all the different moves or or did that did that change and evolve through your life experiences as well music remained the most common factor but how music was manifested did change so um my mom was a choir director um and so growing up okay when my siblings were like nine ten eleven twelve my mom had a, a youth workshop choir, uh, and they did like Sister Act Two type stuff, right? You know, it was early nineties, <laughs> right? It was, it was dumb. And so um, I grew up with that, but I was younger than everybody, right? So I'm, I'm Janet Jackson. I'm seeing my siblings in the Jackson Five, and I'm just waiting for my <laughs> turn to go in, you know, um, to the point where we'd they'd be doing concerts, and I'd run up on stage, you know, like like four years old, and like tall, you can't do that. Like, what are you doing? It's like, but I'm hearing this music, and I just gotta be up there right to the, even now man i'm in harlem the other day man watching people i know and, and like do this this stoop series and the music was so kicking man it was so hard for me like like to not want to be up there right like because i love music and i love performing it's not even like yeah. i want them to see me perform i'm like it looks like a vibe up there y'all look like you're having a great time and so um i grew up with that you know listening to a lot of michael jackson jackson five that was sort of what spoke to me from a very early age jackson five specifically mm. i don't know just like from three years old, I remember just hearing like ABC and just being like, yo, this is like, this is music, you know? So yes. like, yeah. I went through a whole Michael Jackson phase, wearing a hat, glove, vest, all the holster bags. <laughs> so yeah, so that, and then when we moved to Madison, it was still the same. My mom was doing, but my mom started directing um, adult choirs, gospel choirs, and that had us going everywhere. So she was doing one in Madison, she would do one in Milwaukee. And then when she started working at National Baha'i Center, she was the web designer when websites was first going up she was the webmaster yeah really well okay Um, yeah 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 and then the car rides she's playing smooth jazz she's playing kirk whalen she's playing like like you know 
boys to men and those sort of things and mm -hmm. and you know what you would hear on smooth jazz radio in the late 90s early 2000s and so i have a deep like jazz is such a subjective term i'm not going to sit here and say like when you play the music of like miles davis's first great quintet like that's going to speak to a cultural reference to me because it doesn't I'm a black mm. kid who was born in 1990. Like, let's let's not lie to ourselves. Like, mm. I think more jazz musicians need to stop lying to themselves. Like, if that's the music you want to play, that's the music you want to play. But also, don't get mad when someone says that's not the music I grew up to and, and listen to, right? Because it just isn't. I I was listening to Luther Vandross. Was, so when you hear my music, you're going to hear more Jackson Five. You're going to hear more soul. You're going to hear more. And then my dad's side, the jazz was there. And I say jazz because I think it's co-opted. Like, what people define as jazz. I call sure. jazz. I call Stevie Wonder jazz. A I couple generations jazz. into jazz. Exactly. You know, so the music was there. The musicality was there. I'm into harmonies. I'm into funk. I'm into the bass lines. I'm into all of that. Um, and that's what I heard. And then my dad had the Southern African music being played. So like Hugh Masekela and those sort of people. So I was, I, so when you listen to especially my newer music now, like it's undeniable to hear the gospel. It's undeniable to hear the R&B, the hip hop, but also like Malawians can hear. And it's not even like an intentional thing. It's just, it's just what's in my soul and my mm. ears is you're mm. going to hear, you know, um, you know, Southern African chord suspensions, you know, the way I voice things is very within that realm of Southern African, like almost gospel, like, cause that's a whole thing that they do yeah. what they do. And so those are all the things that I hear and all that. And so when I, we moved to Atlanta, that's when I picked up the saxophone. Um, I was in seventh grade. I went to a black school, right? Drumline had just came out and people, in, <laughs> there you people go. that we were competing against. So like, what's cool is I was in seventh grade, I was musically inclined and I was good enough to play in the high school band. So every day after mm. school, I'd go down to the high school band and that was my boot camp, right? Because here I am, this nerdy boy coming from Wisconsin, no, no swag, skater boy, right? Um, and I'm getting clowned <laughs> until I get in the band, until they find out motherfucking blow that sex better than a lot of these high schoolers. <laughs> and so um, I'm doing the battle of the bands. We're playing against people who've been in drumline, right? Um, I went to Southern Louisiana uh, University's band camp, and that's one of the best marching bands in the country. And all those sort of things just like kind of blackened me, you know, because I was mm. before band, after band, I was two different people. You know what I mean? And it really, look, I, I thank Atlanta because Atlanta saved my black card. You know what I mean? Because when I think about the 12-year-old Matali that came to Atlanta and the 15-year-old Matali that left Atlanta, those were two different Matalis. And and not to say there's anything wrong with doing that, but I'm just so grateful because I know, you know, music has allowed me an end and to the world. And, and Atlanta really strengthened that because it wasn't just marching band as well. It was different musicians, jazz musicians in the Baha'i community who would have me sit in with them and play with them and learn how to improvise and all these sort of yeah. things just organically. But then also, like, it learned, I really learned how to play black music in a way that's black, right? And that's, that's, that's integral.
grew up in Atlanta and I haven't been to Atlanta in, since 2007. So with my mother's passing, I really was like, this needs to be something I need to do in this next year, you know? Mm. So originally I was hoping um, I was going to have time to do a road trip in which I could drive to Wisconsin where we had lived and we drove there. And then I would go from at Madison down to Atlanta where me and my mother had packed a U-Haul up and went down there. And then I would have connected with all the people who loved her and cared mm. about her. Then I would have mm. drove back up to Massachusetts, which is the last triangle that we hit, right? Mm. You know, mm. over the course of my life, because I grew up in Massachusetts, right. Wisconsin, Atlanta, and then we moved back up here for high school. So it was going to be a whole thing. It, it felt divine intervention in a sense of, I feel like I have music and art that I can actually share yes. um, in those spaces. And and where I really feel like, because I've been spending the last five years on this story specifically, you know, like, I mean, and one could argue 10 years, you know, one could argue like since I first went to Malawi in 2014 and started journaling these stories, right, is when mm, I started mm. writing this. And so um, it's all happening at a time when it's supposed to happen. And even my music, we went into the studio in 2019 to start tracking a lot of these tunes. And pandemic hits, right? And things right. get shut down. But I'm so grateful that that pandemic happened because I started to realize that my story wasn't finished. And I was writing a story that was still happening. You know, mm. I was writing a story that's still happening. And I still am writing the story that's still happening. I have to remind myself that, like, even you know, this last it. year, the things that are happening, things that are unfolding, things that are just piecing together. And, you know, I'll, I'll look at lyrics I wrote and I was like, where was that coming from four years ago? And then I'm like, oh, I get where it's coming from now. You know, right. I get where those words come from now because those words actually mean something a whole lot different now. You know, yeah. and then I can stand on those 10 toes. You know, I don't know if I could have stood on some of the words I had a year ago, two years ago, right? Like I thought I could. And then things happen, experiences happen. And then those words you have, you're like, you know, and and when you write music too, you you don't always realize something. I don't know. I, I get caught in the spirit, and so I'll have a melody, and words just start coming, and I don't know where those words are. And sometimes they're the most profound words I've ever imagined. A lot of the music I sing, that's how it it comes. It's just it right. just is what it is, right? right. Um, and uh, it's 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 bizarre when it happens because you don't know where it's coming from. You use your body as a vessel, your soul as a vessel, and things just come, and it's a beautiful feeling. And, I wish that feeling on everybody, but it can also be scary because you're like, what are these words? And then, <laughs> and then the things happen and you're right. like, oh, that's what those words meant. Right. That's, that's <laughs> that story that I was waiting for. And a lot of that's, that's sort of been the last, you know, couple of years of my life, um, you know, have, have been that. And, and this music mm. has been so um, crucial to how I've investigated just my own reality. And the things that are happening to me, the things that have happened to me, um, I'm so blessed, you know, to to be able to explore these things, and and I'm also blessed to, you know, have an authentic story that people like and want to hear. You know, um, when you're when you're writing music, anything, memoir, biography, uh, you start wondering, is my story even worth one putting down? Mm-hmm. you know and through this whole process of journaling of you know also making a dissertation that's part memoir that these songs mm. are based around right i start to realize like i have such a unique story you know i have such a unique family story i have such a unique 
um, personal story um, from moving, from being a black man, from living all over the place, from being in different economic backgrounds, being homeless twice, right? Um, you know, all these different things that you don't realize in the moment and you don't even realize it when you're looking back until like you really start reflecting on these things and you start to say, there's a usefulness to what we're doing. There's a usefulness to telling the story. There's a usefulness to connecting with people and people want it, you know? Yeah. And, and it's great because, you know, I've been playing this music for the last five years. Might not have released it for the last five years, but I've been playing it. And so that's just mm. been such a spiritual experience is doing this and, you know, maybe at most a thousand people, you know, at a festival or something. But for the most part, it's these small hundred person rooms. Um, and, and I get to just talk through these things before I'm ready to put it out there. So I spent the last five years sort of workshopping this with people. It's so brilliant to see like what it's becoming now um, and where I'm at now as a man, you know? Um, yeah. It's so bizarre, like thinking about the journey that has happened when I started this music, embarked on it and the ancestors I've gained and the lessons I've learned. Yeah. It does seem like you're getting to the place that you need to be, that the spirit needs you to be, right? To be able to deliver these messages, to be able to deliver these stories. And that's a beautiful experience, just like you're saying that, you know, it means something different for you now. And you've definitely got those angels in your corner, you know, guiding yeah. you and helping you along the way. Yeah, it's, it's you know, when my i i first i at first so i released my first album in 2017 and and as soon as i released that album this new album already came to me and mm. it came to me because it already happened to me so originally you know i wanted to write this story about going back to malawi um which inspired my first album as well rites of passage and i wanted to write about going back to malawi and sort of the relationship me and my father healed from you know, uh, my dad uh, grew up being an alcoholic. Uh, well, when I, I, as I grew up, my dad was an alcoholic. He suffered from alcoholism, and and so I had a lot of turmoil growing up, and and a lot of scars, a lot of demons. And um, at the time, you know, I thought most of those demons, ghosts, whatever you want to call it, were were from that time. You know, and, and I think a lot of it was, you know, I think growing up, you know, um, you know, just how I manifested relationships, romantic relationships, how I manifested just different things, how I was going down a path that felt similar to to him in terms of you know, drinking too much, doing too much, right? Like just living mm -hmm. a life that I just knew wasn't me. And um, I just graduated college and I knew that I wasn't well. I knew, and it was like, there was like the last two years of college, specifically the last year of college, like I just went 
down a, a hole that mm. um, has continually scared me ever since. You know, I got out of that hole, but whenever I know I'm going to go into that hole, I make sure I do the things I need to do in my life to make sure I don't go back into that. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, me and him had this moment in which I just told him, you know, hey, I, I ain't well. I ain't been well for a while. You know, um, and this is what I talk about in my dissertation and my music. I start off with one mantra. That's sort of what this is inspired by. And, you know, I'm, and I tell him, I say, you know, I've been well for a while. And a lot of this is, you know, having these memories of having these people who you were, you know, and seeing who I'm trying to be. Um, and um, I'm seeing who I'm trying to be, and I'm seeing who I I want to be, and I'm also seeing who you were. And I know mm. you've I know you've healed. I know you um, done the work you need to do, and I know we've healed, right? At this point, we're cool, we're great. Um, but there's still work I got it. And so his his response, and it was it was such a beautiful thing to just look at him and say, you know, um, mind you, at this point he's been going back and forth to Malawi for ten years now, um, mm -hmm. doing work there. And so he said, you know, it's time to go back to Malawi, and that was sort of us healing, growing. And when I went back to Malawi, I didn't know what I was in store for, right? You know, I just mm -hmm. knew it was going to be a chance for me and my pops to just hang and. I thought maybe like just seeing my family would put me in the space I needed to put. Like, you know, I don't even think my dad fully knew what was going to come from this whole experience. But then, you know, I'm going back and I'm seeing like the way I knew my family had been involved in the Malawi independence, but I'm seeing firsthand how I'm seeing firsthand how my family is um, working in Malawi now to do to do good things and to help people and to whether it be in the village or in the long way. But then, you know, you know, and this is this is important, you know, because I think a lot of Americans, this escapes them and this even escapes like, you know, I had a I had a sibling who went back. And there is like an African way of doing things where you kind of just gotta shut the up and listen. You know what I mean? And hope and the things will come to you. And so that's sort of what I did was just sort of like I was just for the vibes that when the moments would come, I'd ask the question and that could be four days apart, right? Like, you know, it right. wasn't like a, let's sit down and have this beating sort of thing. Like, that's a very like Eurocentric, like yeah. white woman concept, you know, eat, pray, love of like, let me go <laughs> in and like, oh my God. And like, everything was all perfect afterwards. Yeah. And get an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Africans, that ain't, that ain't the way of doing things, right? And if you go with that, I say, you're probably going to get disappointed. Um, and so I kind of just took in it took it in, but there was, there was something very specific that I knew would need to be discovered because I knew my father's alcoholism was stemmed from Malawi and things that had happened in Malawi. And one of those things was, you know, he had a daughter out of wedlock um, mm. while him and my mom were still together, you know, and I knew the story, you know, I knew that story. I heard, heard it from my mother. You know, I knew that he was pressured, you know, by the president who was a dictator uh, to, to be a certain way because he was a high profile coach. I knew, you know, he didn't know if he'd be able to leave Malawi. I knew my mother tried to live in Malawi and they kicked her out of Malawi because she was American and they thought she was a spy or whatever because they didn't like who my family was and what we represented. And so I knew all these things and I knew my mother didn't hold it against him, but I knew there was a period where he held it. Hmm. And I knew there was a period where not just that, but just leaving Malawi. 
And so hearing his story, hearing that was like just this eye-opening moment. Um, and so, you know, I was journaling it and I knew, you know, obviously I'm getting a PhD. I knew at some point this writing, these things would be of some use to me, whether I didn't know how. Um, and then when I started grad school, I knew I had this album that I was working on that I have these pieces that tell that story. And the whole idea is sort of, you know, and when you're hearing this music, you're hearing what it means to be Malawian, but also Black American, born here, to go across on a homegoing experience and to experience Malawian Africa, but to do it in this autoethnography sense of, I'm still this poor Black kid from the south side of Boston. I'm still this kid who's been homeless twice. I'm still this kid who's bounced around place to place. You know, like, so my vantage point to how I view things is going to be from that Black American lens, right? So when I right. go back to Malawi and I'm hanging out with some of my cousins, maybe they went to private school. You know, maybe they got multiple cars since they were 16, right? Maybe they, they got things that I've never had, right? But also I, I got things that they never had, right? I grew up in the U.S., right? So I'm not going to sit right. here and do this right. tip for tap thing that a lot of Americans sometimes like to do. Uh, but it it was more like, what does this mean? And, and it was like a diasporic sort of bridge that I'm trying to tell. And every time I wake up, and every time I close my eyes, I'm looking for the way up. And then you go and cross my mind. I know it's been a year, but you're weighing on my mind, and I don't know what to say. I To the village and it's the first time you go back to the village and it's such this beautiful moment and it's this idea of when i meet my auntie and they tell me this is this full circle moment and we look up at the stars and the next morning i wake up and i i go see my grandfather who i'm named after right and his resting place my grandmother's resting place and say prayers it's a beautiful moment and and so this idea right and of home going is this idea for black americans it's you're going somewhere you you've never been before that's been home I'm coming is you're going back. I'm going is you're going to the destination mm -hmm. that you haven't been yet. But as soon as you touch down, you know, you're home. And it's something that so many Black people, Black Americans talk about when they go back to Africa. Um, but right when I was releasing this music, my grandfather had a guy turn me ill. And um, two days before I was going to release the music, or three days before. So I, I released the music on a Thursday. Um, I'm in DC the week before that when he they say he has six months to live. As soon as I get up to Massachusetts um, that Monday, I, I go see him at the hospital. We we have this very deep conversation like we always do. Um, and you know he was very much into racial justice and and he was very much into race amity as many Baha'is like to call it, race unity. 
uh, and the oneness of mankind. And he was very much into the life I was living um, and the things I was doing and standing up for and also how I was using music. And it was just so interesting that last conversation where it was so direct in, in a way that we weren't always that direct. And I could tell that he knew his time was up. And when I left that room, it was almost like he was having a conversation with someone that I didn't know who was in the room, right? And, hmm. and now I even look back on it. Because then right from there, homecoming became a whole different thing. And it became about the ancestors. And it became about, yes, we're going back to Malawi, but also like, we're all going somewhere, mm. right? We're all on this homecoming. Right? And so like, you know, this, this you don't need to be black to get this story about going back to the village and mm. be connected with your ancestors, right? Like, this is something we're all doing. And, and, and how we live this world, right? How we prepare ourselves, we'll prepare for the next, the love we give, the, the virtues we cultivate, you know, all those sort of things, you know, and I, and I tell this story in my set. And so it kind of just reconceptualized everything because two days later, um, a day before I released his music, he had, he had passed. Mm. And it was still so bone chilling. It was still, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily upset. He was 96 years old, had lived a great life, right? So, you know, um, I still haven't shed a tear over him because there was, okay. there was nothing, to, nothing to be sad about. <laughs> okay. Okay. There was nothing, nothing, you know, um, and, and if anything, what I felt was an exhilaration after he passed. Yeah. Yeah. I felt his energy. Like yeah. I, I was like, we did the show the next day. I said, we're playing. What you mean? <laughs> Not play music. Play Are you kidding me? Play for grandpa. Yeah. And that's what we did. And it was beautiful. And it was like, we did it in this, we rented out, not even rented out. We, we, we went cause you know, I didn't want to do it at a venue. Um, I could have, and I could have sold out, could have got 300 people in there, but I did it at this very small, like bar pub type vibe where, you know, uh, all 50 people could fit in there very tightly. And that's what happened. Um, mm -hmm. and it was just so beautiful because, you know, it's just wall to wall people are standing and I'm telling this story that, and this is the first time I've told it. So like, it still is so meaningful to me because those songs, I mean, now I know how catchy they are because people tell me, but like when you're first releasing music all at once, mm. you know what I mean? That's exhilarating because like, you're like, these are all songs I've not played for anybody, right? Like, like right, just the bands, right, bands right, are this. Right. We haven't even recorded this music yet. You know what I mean? Like versus my first album where at least we had recorded the music, you know what I mean? At least I had that going for me. You know what I'm saying? I got right. nothing for you. So y'all better like what you, what you hear. Um, and it was beautiful. But then from there, it just really just the how I started looking at this music, how I started looking at myself. And, you know, when you think about it, so that's, that was eight, uh, March, 2019, you know, I lost my grandfather, premiered this music, August, um, you know, uh, well, then my aunt, Auntie Rose, who's the reason why I went to Malawi, and the matriarch on my dad's side, the Malawian side, my, his oldest sister, she had passed away um, hmm. a year and a half after that. Then a year and a half after that, my mother had passed away. Mm. A year and a half, um, a year or less than a year, right? My grandmother just passed. Mm. And, you know, something I've been thinking about is sort of, you know, how incredibly blessed I am, you know, um, to, to have been there. You know, my grandfather, I was there with him, you know, and I wasn't there when he ascended, but I was there immediately after made sure mm. your body got taken care of it. Mm. You know, my mother, I wasn't there for her ascension, but 
I was, I rushed right up to the house where she had transitioned and, you know, paid my respects and spent the night there, you know, moved back up to Massachusetts to take care of my grandmother and, and feel her presence. And I was working across the street from where she was buried. Like, so that was very beautiful. Wow. Um, and then my grandmother, yeah. um, I was there, you know, um, I was there as she ascended. I was there as she, and, and, and she knew her time was coming and, and, the last few conversations we had were some of the most beautiful conversations. You know, this is a woman who in the last four years had seen her husband go and mm. I seen her daughter go, mm. you know, um, to this day, I can't think of anything more painful. And, you know, I've been through some painful things, um, of driving my grandmother home from our funeral, her daughter's funeral, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and then 10 months later, doing all the things we did for my mother, but one less person is there. Mm, so, well, so doing the, yeah. the Baha'i preparations, doing the everything like that, where she, my grandmother was there for all. Now, now we're doing it for her. It's, it's very, you know, seeing the same funeral director, right? All those sort of things. Um, well, mm. you know, um, it's, it's all very bizarre, but you know, I'm so grateful because those, those last words she gave me too. I mean, and, and I say this because they were all the same. You know, what mm. my, what my grandfather told me, you know, even what my mother told me, like, she didn't know she was passing, but there was a very unique conversation we had shortly before. And, and what my grandmother had told me, and each one was very tied into don't stop doing this music mm. and don't stop doing this music and doing it in a way that you're doing it and doing the message that you're doing, because, you know, um, you know, I think, you know, especially my mom, I mean, towards the end, she had seen what I was doing at festival. She had seen how people received me. You know, um, it was unfortunate because my grandparents had never been able to mm. uh, see this last phase of my career because they, they couldn't leave the house for the last six years. So, um, but I say all that to say, you know, when you gain these ancestors, you know, um, how they view you matters so much. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the perception of how they loved you matters so much because it, whatever that is, that's going to define so much of who you are moving forward. And I, you know, I've never had kids, but I imagine it, you know, working with kids, I see that with parents where when you have kids young, right, that youthful energy might stay with you and for all the good and all the bad. And you have kids when you're a little older, that wisdom might be a little more cemented in how you move, right? And I feel the same with, you know, when you lose your parents, like, you know, um, where you are in your life can be so fundamental to how you see yourself and how you move. And so, you know, I'm so incredibly lucky that they loved me in the way that they did, that they valued what I was doing. And, you know, I have a very hardened Boston family, so compliments wasn't something that gets tossed around. Mm. And so that's why it's so interesting. The last things they said to me were so directly praiseworthy um, in a way that, you know, me and my siblings, we just weren't used to.
always been a weird thing for me. Hmm. Um, uh, and this is sort of where I write about it because, you know, I theorize about ghosts, you know, and, and I feel like I've referenced this a lot in, in my music. You'll hear lyrics, you know, in which I'm referencing ghosts. One of the songs, Morning Mantra, right? Um, somewhere looking through the rain, seeing, uh, looking through the rain, um, seeing um, through the smoke, facing all my ghosts. I know when it's hard to make a way because we all got ghosts, right? Yeah. And those ghosts are trauma. And now what that trauma could be could be different. Where my dad's trauma, it was, it was ghosts from a dictator and how he impacted our family, the actions mm. that happened, and how when he came here, those ghosts were still haunting. They were haunting him in his sleep. They were haunting, you know, all these different things, right? I have my ghosts. You got your ghosts. Um, but the thing about ghosts is you don't get rid of ghosts by acting like they're not there. Mm, right, mm-hmm. and that's a whole thing, right? Ghosts, and even the idea of what ghosts are, ghosts are traumatic, right? They're here in purgatory because they are traumatic, and we have to release them of that. You can't just pretend like it's not there. And right. so, um, this idea for me and this music is me being like, I gotta face my ghosts, mm. right? We all gotta face our ghosts. Um, and and so, we, my family has all these ghosts from a very specific rupture that I discuss. You know, and a large part of that is when my we found out about my half sister, you know, when she's already sixteen years old. That's a, a hinging, you know, a unhinging of stability, right? You know, mm. um, my parents divorce, um, not quickly. You know, we move across country. Um, my sister's navigating in different ways. My dad's navigating in different ways. Sure. Um, those three personalities navigated it with a lot of alcohol. Um, and so I grew up in a lot of turmoil and there wasn't always a healthy dialogue, especially when you're poor, right? So now my parents are divorced, mm. mom's moving over here, dad's moving over here, right? We're not, sometimes I don't even see my parents, right? I was homeless when I was 12, by definition, mm. because both my parents were out trying to make moves and so I had to live with a family, right? And then get back and you know, 15, me and my mom are homeless again in Atlanta, uh, this time mm. together, uh, you know? So those are all real things. And so when you have those things, dialogue isn't always there, right? Expressing our feelings isn't always there, but also like when you put that with this New England, Boston working class idea um, raised from my grandparents of, you know, we don't necessarily 
um, complement each other. We don't necessarily give too much praise because we don't want you to be arrogant, you know, very Puritan New England sort of vibes. Yeah, sure. Um, well, then I don't always want to share my music. You know, I don't always want to share my soul, you know. Um, and and so you have those things that keep a family, you know, and even my mom, our relationship was very fractured towards the end. You know, we were getting to a place that was better. But I never felt safe sharing my music. And so I say all that to say my first album, I never sat down with my family and just played it. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, wow. Um, because it was too painful. Because I knew some things that they might set. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and it was just second nature to them. And I just, that's not how I wanted to live. And so my grandfather passed, like, and I know he heard my music. I know my sister played for him, you know, like people played it. But I never saw his response. And maybe I need that. I never saw my grandmother's response. I never saw my mother's mm. response. Um, now my mom had seen me play, so, and she saw me play his music, so I feel at ease and like, she told me she was proud of me. But that piece, Black Boy Fairy Tales, with the narrative. Um, and, you know, I recorded that in uh, Feb uh, February, 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 no, April, sorry, April I recorded it. Um, and a few weeks later, you know, it came out and I'm really liking it. And I just thought, let me share this with my grandmother, you know, um, because I don't know how much time I'm going to have. And so I played it for her and it changed her world. Wow. And she kept talking about it for the next, and, and was just so proud of what I was doing. Yeah. And, yeah. and it felt so good, but it is, it is a regret of mine to, you know, having not shared this music and, and, you know, uh, with the people who inspired it. Where do we go? What do we say? What do we do? Nowhere to turn, nowhere to run, and there's nothing new. Where do we go for inspiration? It's my pain, it's my only inspiration. Where do we go? What do we say? What do we do? Nowhere to turn, nowhere to run, and there's nothing new. Where do we go for inspiration? It's my pain, it's my only inspiration. I come from people who stand stronger than time and space. Wherever there's competition, you gonna find the race. I find a place in my heart for this hip hop. It pump blood through my veins, my skin get hot. I take it very serious and make me write more. If I don't celebrate, I got nothing to fight for. I'm tight, raw, excite y'all like nightfall. I'm tight, y'all. I walk the street like y'all. About action, talk is cheap, right, y'all? You start yapping, think about the beef you might cause. The trouble you could get into. You don't study, you not prepared, and cats testing you. What you gonna do when you gotta face the manifestation of the words that you put in space? They you really there, you can't take them out. The studio gangster inside you trying to break out. Where do we go? What do we say? What do we do? Nowhere to turn, nowhere to run, and there's nothing new. Where do we go for inspiration? It's my pain, it's our only inspiration. So I'd love to hear about some of the the music that inspires you and and some of the things that have been influential on you. You know, you talked about uh, Jackson Five and you talked about Kirk Whalum. I gotta say, more than any other interview, 
<laughs> you had me doing some homework. You know, usually I ask a guest to pick three songs of theirs, three by somebody else, and that's it. You know, just to have a map for the conversation. This guy over here gives me a dozen albums, like full albums. <laughs> I can't do songs, man. Yeah. I can't. I don't even know how to. But that's that's the way it is with musicians, right? You're in love with the muse. Well, you know, so that's all right. We'll, we'll, so I want I I, I want to hop hopscotch through some of this stuff and just and just hear some of the things that that really made an impact on you. A lot of your major influences are drawing from sources that are not sort of classic jazz, uh, the titans of of you know early jazz, you know, or or bebop or 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 the the eras that we really we really think about. You know, you're pulling in people like Talib Kweli and Kanye and Common. Uh, Dead Prez, little brother. Um, you put Pharaoh Sanders on here, um, but but tell me about some of these artists that really stood out to you. You know, in the hip hop uh, side of things, which were the biggest influences, and and what were some of the things that spoke to you, maybe thematically, since we're not talking about you know one song in particular. Well, growing up with jazz, right? So I definitely had a palette for the chords, the bassline, all that different stuff, but then. And so that's what drove me to Tal Kweli, right? Because at the same time, I listened to a lot of hip hop. That's what I grew up on. That's like mm-hmm. you know, a black kid living in Atlanta, Georgia, South Boston, right? These vibes, right? So like, that is what I'm hearing. Like, we're not listening to anything else, right? So like, that makes sense to be into hip hop at that age and those formative years, right? To want to listen to that, but also be drawn to the sounds of jazz within that. So like, I put Kweli, Eternal Reflections, Quality. Those, that, that was the first time I listened to hip hop. And I was like, I'm down with all this. That was one you know? of those first albums for you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And I all was right. like, I liked hip hop before that, but I didn't always like the messages. And mm-hmm. so Quali was the first time where I was like, I like the delivery and I like the message. Sometimes mm-hmm. I might like the delivery, right? We know a lot of conscious rap that's just trash, right? You know what I mean? Like, like we know a lot, like we know a lot. And like hip hop in general is like, you could be a dope MC. You could be a horrible recording artist. Like that's that's the thing, right? Like you yeah, can you yeah, can yeah. have amazing things to say, but you do not know how to put that onto a record. Like you don't know how to make <laughs> like and and it it's 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 really a shame. Not M- not every MC is musical, right? You know, know what I mean? Like that's just the reality. Um, Quali is one of those guys who who he knows how to make musical things, and and so hearing that, then listening to Black Star as well. Um, most Death didn't always speak to me at a younger age as much as he does now so much. Um, mm. Common as well, right? Um, that B album was crucial for me growing up. Right, um, right. You know, uh, I, that, that, that album just blew me away. You know, start, that was the first time. That's like one of the first start to finish albums. I can say, like, I'm just like, I'm sold. Like, I could listen to that album. For, I still listen to that album start to finish. And I'm just like... Like that ending track, It's Your World, man. That's that's mm. something like, woo. I'm being broke, I ain't a fan. Now I stand in the same spot as my old man. My life, I plan not to be on this corner. I still want to see California, but this is my world. And like, I think I put Coloring Book on there. That one too was real inspirational yeah. to me. Um, I mean, one, like I have Blessings Reprise on my first album, 
like an instrumental mm. version of that. Um, oh, okay. I didn't yeah. catch that. And, uh-huh. and I, 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 I think if there's a musician who embodies a lot of the things, like I think, it's like some of, and this is like a conversation for a different time, is like some of Chance's more problematic antics in the last couple of years, I even predicted because I was like, we're putting like, and it, it it isn't knock on you know knock on wood. I I don't wish this on him, but I could totally see him going down. I hope not a similar Kanye path, mm. but I don't think he will based on how the last couple of years have been for his musical career. But I think like if he was to make Coloring Book and if his album that came after that was received as well as Coloring Book was, I think we would have been in dangerous territory with Chance because like just the way he is. But um, <laughs> I, but. What I do like is I like how we engage the community. I like how he makes music that like is upbeat and positive. And that's like something like I really like. A lot of the colors he does is, is similar colors that I want in my music. And so what I liked about Coloring Book was, is he the perfect Christian? No. Hmm. But he loves him some God. And I think that for me was so eye-opening because it allowed me to feel comfortable like standing on my own as an independent artist who to be behind but also just happens to be human and also happens to be imperfect and how do i exist with all those sort of things but still like you know the the duality of the righteous and the ratchet Mm. you know the duality of like if this is like you know for chance like if you want to exalt his name exalt his name Mm. if you got us how great right like he has finish line he has like he has these songs where it's like blessings blessings one blessings reprise like cool but then you also got songs like no problems right and you also got songs like uh what's it same drugs or whatever or like these different mm. or, uh, uh 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 smoke break whatever all these different things right like but that's true to who he is and right. like i mean like i think he could be a little more careful just on how he presents certain things because of people that might look up to you like i'm very cognizant of like i don't want to portray anything that would sway someone to do something go left or go mm. right you know what I mean? Like, like that ain't that ain't something I want to do. But at the same time, like, if I have questions, if I have confusions, if I have different things about me or different things that I might feel passionate about, I don't. I also don't want to hide from it. Yeah. But I also don't want to feel like if I say this, then I can't also say this. And I think Chance Cullen Book is is, is a perfect example of um, hip hop and gospel meeting together in a way that's just true. Before I let you go here, I you know the you have a bit of an inside track on on the the title that I do for this series, Soul Ladder Music. It comes from this line from the Baha'i writings that Baha'u'llah yep. writes that music is has, God has made music as a ladder for our souls. 
Mm-hmm. I wonder for you, what is that concept meant to you as you meditate mm-hmm. on that on that line? What is that meant to you, or where does that what does it mean to you right now, where you are right now with your relationship with music as being a a ladder for your soul? Right now, the times I feel like I'm speaking to God in the most purest form is when I'm performing in that stage. Hmm. You know, and I, I think about the last couple of years as I like specifically this story and um it's 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 saved. And I, I can't say that like that's not an exaggeration, you know, because you know, we had a whole pandemic while I was writing this music. <laughs> you know, we had a whole, you know, and I was still able to play thank thankfully, you know, do you know, because of my name, image and whatever. So I was able to do virtual shows and, and touch people and experience people and and so I think, um, you know, music is service. Mm. When you look at it as service, it really does change the way you write, the way you perceive it, you know. And sure, I, I write very personal things that move me, but I make sure it connects to the audience. And I make sure that we're having a shared experience in which, like, you know, I remember when my first album came out, every time we performed it, at least a fourth of the audience was crying by midway through. And I love that. You know, I love that it was connecting with people on such a real level that some of the things they never dealt with in that hour and a half span came to light as they were listening to my music, you know, um, because then I'm not alone, you know, but I do think there's so much power in the music we consume. It's, it's, it's nutrition, right? It says it's food and lighter to the soul, right? You can't eat honey buns every day. You know, you can have that once in a while and it will do you some good, but like the music you consume the art you consume, the literature you consume, make sure whatever it is that you're consuming is is what you want to be a part of you, right? And and it will define you, you know? So if you make music about bang, bang, shoot them up, shoot them up, that's going to define you. If you make music about being a player, it's going to define you. If you make music about making the world a better place, if you make music about your healing, that will define you. So for me, the last four years, five years has been about my healing. And I feel like in some ways I've become a better man because of this music that I've been writing to the point where I'm excited to release it, but I don't care because it's done what it needed to do for me, you know? And that's such a great feeling, but yeah, but it's service. And when we look at ourselves as public servants and when we look at ourselves as using this music to either put a mirror into society, to bring light when there's darkness, um, I think it's so beautiful and so brilliant. Well said. Well, I can't wait to to hear the next album when it comes out. I'm glad that it's done its work already. And uh, I look forward to the rest of the world gaining some healing from it also. Thank you, man. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for making the climb with me this week on Soul Ladder Music. You can learn more about Matali Banda's music at matalibanda.com. That's M-T-A-L-I-B-A-N-D-A dot com. As usual, I'll have all the songs from this episode in our show notes. And be sure to check out the Soul Ladder Music playlist on Spotify for the music from all our shows. You can find our entire Soul Ladder Music series on any and all podcast platforms. Thanks to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music. And keep tuning in to WOWD 94.3 FM, Tacoma Radio, 
for great music and programs seven days a week. Streaming online at tacomaradio.org.